Hi, I'm Andrew Black. I'm Brandon Hornig, and we are reading 7.2. I'll start it off. In the face of invasions by Vikings, Muslim, and Magyars, kings and emperors were too weak to maintain law and order. People needed protection for themselves, their homes, and their lands. In response to this basic need for protection, a decentralized political and economic structure evolved known as feudalism. Feudalism was was a loosely organized system of rule in which powerful local lords divided their land holdings among lesser lords. In exchange, these lesser lords or vassals pledged service and loyalty to a greater lord. Feudalism and the Manor Economy Feudalism develops. In practice, feudalism varied greatly from place to place, and its traditions Traditions changed over time. Overall, however, feudalism became the base, the basis for a political and economic system that governed life during the Middle Ages and beyond. Mutual obligations. Medieval society evolved around a network of mutual obligations between the ruler and the ruled. The relationship between the lords and the vassals was both political and economic. This was based on the exchange of land for loyalty and military service. These vows were conducted publicly in front of women, in front of witnesses. The relationship between lord and vassal grew out of custom and tradition and tradition and involved an exchange of pledges known as the feudal contract. Under this system, a powerful lord granted his vassal a fief or real estate. Fiefs range from a few acres to hundreds of square miles. In addition to the land itself, the fief also included peasants to work the land, as well as any towns and buildings on it. As part of the agreement, the lord promised to protect his vassal. In return, the vassal pledged his loyalty to the lord. He also agreed to provide the lord with 40 days of military service each year, certain money payments, and advice. A complex system. Everyone in the place, everyone had a place in the medieval feudal society. At the top of the power structure stood the most powerful lords who might have had titles such as duke or count. They might have had the, they held the largest fiefs. Each of these lords had vassals. These vassals in turn had their own vassals. In many cases, the same man was both a vassal and a lord. Vassal became more vassal to more powerful lord above him, and a lord to a less powerful vassal below him. Because vassals often held fiefs from more than one lord, relationships between them grew very complex. A vassal who pledged loyalty to several lords could have serious problems if his overlords quarreled with each other. What would he do if they both demanded his aid? To solve this problem, a vassal unusually led a liege lord to whom he owed his first loyalty. Nobles, knights, and warfare. Nobles, knights, and warfare. During the Middle Ages, warfare was constant for medieval lords and vassals. It was a way of life. Rival lords battled constantly for power. Both greater and lesser nobles trained from boyhood for a future occupation as a knight or mounted warrior.
the life of a knight. At the edge, at the age of seven, a boy slated to become a knight was sent away to the castle of his father's lord. There he learned to ride and fight. He also learned to keep his armor and weapons in good condition. Training was difficult and discipline was strict. Any laziness was punished with an angry blow or even a severe beating. With his training finished, the young the youth was named a knight, often in a public ceremony. An older knight, or the boy's future lord, said words like these, In the name of God, St. Michael, and St. George, I dub thee knight. Be brave and loyal. Then the young knight took his place beside other warriors. Knights usually fought on horseback using swords, axes, and lances, which were long poles. They wore armor and carried shields for protection. Other soldiers fought on foot using daggers, spears, crossbows, and longbows. As the fierce fighting of the early Middle Ages lessened in the 1100s, tournaments or mock battles came into fashion. A powerful lord would invite knights from the area to a tour to a tournament to enter contests of fighting skill. At first, tournaments were as dangerous as real battles in time. They acquired more ceremonies and ritual. Castles and war. During the early Middle Ages, powerful lords fortified their homes to withstand attack. Strongholds gradually became larger, larger and grander. By the 1100s, monarchs and nobles owned sprawling stone castles with high walls, towers, drawbridges, and over wide moats. Castles were fortresses. Wars often centered on seizing castles that commanded strategic river, river crossings, harbors, or man, mountain passes. Castle dwellers stored up food and water so they could withstand a long siege. In time of war, peasants from the nearby villages would take refuge inside of the castle walls. The Lives of Noble Women Noble women played active roles in this warrior society. While her husband or father was off fighting, the lady of the manor took over his duties. She supervised vassals, managed the household, and performed necessary agriculture and medical tasks. Sometimes she might even have to go to war to defend her estate. Some medieval noblewomen, like Eleanor of Aquitaine, took an active hand in politics. Eleanor inherited vast lands in southwest France. Through two marriages, she became Queen of France and later Queen of England. For more than 50 years, Eleanor was a leading force in European affairs. A woman's right to inherit inheritance was severely restricted under the feudal system. Although women did sometimes inherit fiefs, land usually passed to the eldest son and family. A woman frequently received land as part of her dowry, and fierce marriage negotiations swirled around an unmarried or widowed Harris if her husband had died before her. A woman gained her rights to her land. Like their brothers, the daughters of nobles were sent to fight to friends or relatives for training. Before her parents arranged her marriage, a young woman was expected to know how to spin and weave and how to supervise servants. A few learned to read and write, and her role as wife, a noblewoman, was expected to bear many children and be dutiful to her husband. The Code of Chivalry. The Code of Chivalry. In the late, later, later Middle Ages, knights, knights adopted a code of conduct called chivalry. Chivalry acquired knights to be brave, loyal, and true to their word. In warfare, they had to fight fairly. For example, a knight agreed not to attack another knight before the opponent had a chance to pull on his armor.
Warriors often had to treat a captured knight well or even release him if he promised to pay his ransom. Chivalry had limits, though. Its elaborate rules applied to nobles, not only to commoners, but chivalry also dictated that's, that knights protect the weak, and that included both peasants and the and noble women. Few knights could live up to the ideals of chivalry, but they could, but they did provide a standard against which the knight's behavior could be measured. Chivalry raised women to a new status. In theory, they could they could not always not always in practice. Chivalry placed women on a pedestal. Trepidors or wandering music, musician poets composed their love songs praising the beauty and wit of women throughout the ages. <clears throat> the epic stories and poems they told of brave knights and their devotion to a beloved woman, which later ideas of chivalry would shape into our modern ideas of romantic love. Manorealism? The heart of the medieval economy was the manor or lord's estate. Most manors included one or more villages and the surrounding lands. Peasants who made up the majority of the population in medieval society lived and worked on the manor, an economic system. Under the manor system, also called the manorial system, the lord of the manor exercised legal and economic power over the peasants who lived on the estate. The lord administered justice and provided land and protection in return. Peasants owed their lord labor and goods. Historians have described several factors that contributed to the development of the economic system of manorialism. These were largely the same as those that led to the development of feudalism. Kings and emperors in Western Europe had become too weak to provide security. Trade declined sharply. Local communities had to become self-sufficient economic systems capable of meeting their own needs. These communities were manors. Most peasants on a manor were, ser were serfs bound to the land. Serfs were not slaves who could be brought and sold. Still, they were not free. They could not leave the manor without the Lord's permission. If the manor was granted to a new lord, the serfs were along with it. The Mutual Obligations of Lords and Peasants Peasants and their lords were tied together by mutual rights and obligations. Peasants had to work several days a week farming the lord's land. They also repaired his roads, bridges, and fences. Peasants had to ask the lord's permission to marry. Peasants paid the lord a fee when they inherited their father's acres or when they used the local mill to grind grain. Other payments fell due at Christmas and Easter because money had largely disappeared in late Roman times. Peasants had often often, often to pay feeds with products such as grain, honey, eggs, or chickens. In return for a lifetime of labor, labor peasants had the right to farm certain amount of land for themselves. Under the system of mutual obligations, they were entitled to their lord's protection from razor warfare, although they could not leave the manor without permission. They also could not be forced off of it. In theory, at last, they were guaranteed food, housing, and land. The manor system supported feudalism, 
Lords and knights relied on their estates to provide them, provide them with food, lodging, horses, armor, weapons, money, and time to train for warfare. A self-sufficient world. During the early Middle Ages, the manor was gently self-sufficient. That is, the peasants who lived there produced almost everything they needed, from food and clothing to simple furniture and tools. Most peasants never ventured more than a few miles from their village. They had no schooling and no knowledge for, of a larger world outside. A typical manor included cottages and huts clustered close together in a village. Nearby stood a watermill to grind grain, a church, and the Lord's Manor house. The fields surrounding the village were divided into narrow strips. Each family had strips of land in different fields so that good land and bad land were shared evenly. Beyond the fields for growing crops, there were pastures for animals and meadows that provided hay. Only the Lord had the right to chop wood or hunt animals in the forest that lay beyond the cleared land. The life of a peasant. For most peasants, life was harsh. Men, women, <coughs> men, women and children worked long hours from sunup to sundown. During planting, planting season, a man might guide an ox-drawn plow through the fields while his wife walked alongside, urging the ox on with a pointed stick. Children's help in, children helped in the fields, planting seeds, weeding, taking care of pigs or sheep. The peasant, fairy, the ple, the peasant family ate a simple diet of black bread with vegetables, <laughs> such as cabbage, turnips, or onions. They seldom eat, ate meat. That was reserved for the Lord. Peasants who poached or illegally killed wild game in the Lord's manor risked harsh pun punishment. If they lived near a, a river, peasants might add fish to their meal. That at night, the family and their livestock, cows, chickens, pigs, or sheep, slept together in their hut. Seasons Seasons and celebrations. Like farmers everywhere, peasants in Europe plowed in spring and autumn and summer. They harvested and hayed. At other times, they weeded and re repaired. Hunger was common, especially in the late winter when the harvest was exhausted. Disease took a heavy toll, and few peasants lived beyond the age of 35. Still, peasants found occasions to celebrate, such as marriages and births. Welcome, welcome break came on holidays such as Christmas and Easter. At these times, people might butcher an animal for a feast. There would also be dancing and rough sports from wrestling to ball games. Thank you for listening to 7.1 reading by Andrew Black and Brandon Hornig. 7.2. Sorry. All right.